I guess I'll just tell you this ahead of time because it's always good to have um, a preemptive excuse. All right. I am taking pain meds. Uh, as a matter of fact, <laughs> I almost fell asleep up there during the... <clears throat> um, I don't think I'll fall asleep standing up. Um, <laughs> but if I do, I know that some of you will take photos and they will be all over social media. So I appreciate appreciate you all very much. All right, open your Bibles, if you will, to the to the book of Ephesians. I hope everyone can hear. We're using this mic today. I can't really manipulate the other one very well, so I'll uh, try to stay close here to the to the pulpit. Um, the title of today's message is Forming a Church or alternately What Do You Call This Thing Anyway? And as we go through this, I think you'll see uh, a little bit about what's going on with that. We're going to read just a few verses here as we end, as we end chapter 2 today. Um, begin reading from chapter 2. Uh, let's see, let's read from verse 15. And I'm, I'm kind of jumping in the middle here, but we've read this for several weeks, so I, I think it'll be all right. It says, By abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinance, that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace, and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And he came and preached peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near. For through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure, being joined together, grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. So, um, just a little bit of uh, review as we... uh, kind of jump in this, look at this a little bit differently today. Um, we have seen who they and we are, as Paul's talked about that, we've spent some time, and what they were and what they are. So God changed them from what they were to what they are through Jesus the Messiah. And he's, he's of course, done that for us also. The Apostle Paul went over that at least twice. So he, and I'm not good, I mean, you could chart it where he says, here's where you were and here's what God did. And, uh, and then here's where you were and here's what God did. And so, and in that, we kind of in the middle there, we saw Paul pray that they would really begin to understand it. So all of this is kind of wrapped up in the uh, first two chapters. We're going to get some more background information in chapter 3 and then when we get into chapter 4 he begins to couple all that background information into guidelines for practical living Um, 
as Paul move, moves on, he introduces some of these terms that we're going to talk about today. And uh, they're terms that Paul uses throughout his writing. And uh, for lack of a, a better place, I'll just, or a better term, I'll just use the term, the new man that God has made. Now, you know, you kind of get an idea what we're talking about. They said the title was forming a church, or what do you call this thing anyway? Paul calls it several things in here. And he calls it several things to emphasize different aspects of it. And, and in that emphasizing different aspects of it, give us uh, an, an increased awareness of what's going on. So uh, <clears throat> maybe you're there already, um, but let's read the first six verses of chapter 3. For this reason, I, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus, on behalf of you Gentiles, assuming that you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me for you, how the mystery was made known to me by revelation, as I have written briefly. When you read this, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to the sons of men in other generations, as it has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. This mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs members of the same body and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. So there's a, there's a continued theme there. And in the very beginning in chapter 1, Paul, as I mentioned earlier, talks about who they were, how they were cut off, how they were separated from the promises. And then he talks about how all of that was taken care of and those things were, were dealt with. So here we see him reminding them that he's the apostle to the Gentiles. Um, it's from Paul's writings that we get most of our information about the church. And so some of the things we're going to talk about here in a little bit, uh, as we define some of these terms, those, those things came from and through the apostle Paul, as he himself said. He's, re he's revealing mystery. Now, the great mystery he's revealing here is that Gentiles are also part of this, not just Jews, not just Jews who now believe in Jesus Christ, but now Gentiles can also connect to God through Jesus the Messiah. So it's through, through Paul's writing that uh, <clears throat> we get an understanding of the church. And, um, <clears throat> or some of you may understand that as the word ecclesia. All right, that's, that's, that's the word that's used in the New Testament, frequently used for church. This, or you, we can refer to him as this new man. And Paul uses these terms, and we're going to talk about some of them here. Paul uses these terms throughout his writings. And maybe we'll make reference to some of that, some of that you're just going to have to go and, uh, and connect to. There is hardly, oh, I, I, you know, I wrote that, I said it, and even as I said it, I realize it's probably not accurate because there's a whole bunch of doctrines that are misunderstood. But there is hardly a biblical doctrine that is misunderstood by the world and misapplied by the church as the doctrine of the church or what we refer to as ecclesiology. Um, I think we'll touch on that some here as... as as we move through, as we move through this, the church 
either through ignorance or through um, deliberate manipulation has confused what the Bible says about what the church is. And because of that, the world doesn't have an understanding of what the church is. There are certain things the world can never understand, being apart, being outside. Some of these things you cannot grasp without being on the inside and having the uh, uh, witness of the Holy Spirit, the teaching of the Holy Spirit show show things to us. But the general understanding of what church is, is misconstrued by generation upon generation upon generation of confusion that's been brought on by the church. So this doctrine, and we'll, we'll call that doctrine a body of teaching, or if you like it better, uh, best understanding, this doctrine of the church is the basis that we use to relate to relate to one another. It's the basis we use when we gather. And believe it or not, it's even part of the basis of how we understand the end times. And we won't be able to get into all of that today, but as we kind of go further into um, theological realities and, and talk about some of these things, you're going to realize that, that how you understand the church affects how you understand the end times. We'll, we'll look at that to some degree, maybe even a little bit today. So <clears throat> let's look at some of the terminology that the apostle uses right in this, in this passage. He says he has made of one, or, or he's made of the two, one new man. That's in verse 15. And that's where I kind of mentioned earlier we call this the, call this the, the new man. All right? So of the two, one, and the two are replaced so it's not like there are now three, there are one. All right, are you, everybody with me? All right, good. He says in chapter 2, verse 19, that we are fellow citizens. He's talking to these Gentiles, of course, talking to these believers in Ephesus. It, it applies to us being believers today. Fellow citizens. And, and he says in this passage in chapter 2, that we're no longer strangers and aliens. And if you remember earlier in chapter 2, he went out of his way to explain to these Gentiles that they were apart from the promises of God, apart from the commonwealth of Israel. They didn't have anything to connect them to God. They were without hope, he says. They were without God and without hope. He says, but now you are fellow citizens. You're no longer strangers. You're no longer aliens. In verse 19 of chapter 2, he says, you are members of the household of God. Now, um, I can't today because of the direction we're going with this or the direction I felt the Lord would have me take this. Go go into great detail in each one of these. Um, But it would be an interesting exercise, just a mental exercise to go down through this and ask yourself, what does this mean, household of God? What is a household? Is it a house? Or is it the people who live in the house? Is it it 
Is it a family? What, what, does, he, what does he mean when he says we're, we're part of that? I think, I, think, uh, I think all of us understand citizenship. We have certain rights and responsibilities as citizens. And so as he's dealing here with citizenship, he says we are fellow citizens. So we're connected with others who are citizens, not alone. So I won't go down through all that, but I would encourage you to kind of look at those things and ponder them. He says that we are a holy temple in verse 21 of chapter 2. And that where in chapter 4 we're going to see he mentions it here that we're growing into this thing. That it isn't just happened, that we're growing into it. In chapter in chapter two, verse twenty two, he says we are the dwelling place of God. And the word there has to do with a permanent residence. <laughs> so uh not a tent, all right, uh not a camper, but a place where you go to dwell forever. So we've got all of these benefits that come to us, all of these things that happen to us, all of these things that he says we are. How do they happen? Chapter 1, verse 3 says this stuff happens in Christ. Chapter 1, verse 11 talks about our inheritance in Christ. Chapter 2, verse 5 talks about grace. Chapter 2, verse 8 talks about a gift of God. Verse 9, in order to contrast in chapter 2, says it's not works. Now, we're familiar with those, with that verse. By grace you're saved, and that not of yourselves, it is a gift of God. So, by, by grace you're saved through faith, and that not of yourself. So, in verse 9, it says it's not works. In chapter 2, verse 13, it says it happens through the blood of Christ. It's kind of what we were talking about here this morning, the whole meaning of this particular season. In chapter 2 verse 14 it says that he is our peace. In chapter 2 verse 18 it says we have access to the Father through Jesus the Messiah. So all of these things that he's talking about here when he talks about a church, a new man, fellow citizens, a household, a temple, a dwelling place, all of those things happen because of the grace of God worked out through Jesus Christ, his son. It all depends on the work of Jesus, the Messiah. Not us. Now, again, this is important. We'll talk about some of this because it connects in how we understand the church. Not us, not our works, not at all. Contrary, he not only says that there's nothing you can do because you're not going to boast. He says anything you do, it's because I've done it. And he says that with this phrase, says uh, that we are his workmanship. He's the one doing the work. Um, it's kind of the height of arrogance to think that you can add something to the sacrifice of God the Son. And we, we readily agree mentally. We have this assent. You know, we'll agree mentally, yes, Jesus paid it all, and there's nothing I can do. But when it gets down to the practical level, we think that we have to add things. So it's important that we understand the, 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 what we're talking about when we talk about salvation. That is grace. Grace means it's a gift. A gift is never earned. A gift is indeed a gift. 
not of works, so that no one can boast. No one can say, I did this. You know, you owe me this. This is wages. I have earned this because it's wages. So all of this depends upon Jesus Christ. And, and uh, please note that Jesus is the cornerstone. And it, it talks about him in there. It talks about the foundation of the uh, apostles and prophets. And it talks about Jesus Christ being the cornerstone. It's, it's the one upon whom everything else is built. Let me read to you a little bit. There's a good, uh, good little passage in here from Mr. Boyce's book. Okay. Did you see me wrestle that book there? It was pretty good. It says, um, he's talking about the temple and living stones. It says, the applications of this part of the picture are so obvious as hardly to need elaboration. But then he goes, let me suggest a few. I love it. Typical preacher. First, the stones placed into this great structure are chosen and shaped for their position by God. It is his temple. He is the architect. It's not for us to determine where we will fit in or how. Secondly, the stones are placed in position in relationship to Jesus Christ. They are attached to him. If they are not... They are not part of this building. All right? He's the cornerstone. Got to be connected. Third, the stones are of different shapes and sizes, perhaps even of different material, and they are employed for different functions. Some serve in one way, some another. Now, uh, he's actually alluding to, you know, I I titled this, what what do you call this thing anyway? Because the Apostle Paul not only calls it a building, he also calls it a body. And later on in the apostles' epistles, epistles, he goes on to explain how that body functions, that the members don't do the same thing, that, all the, that members have different functions, and that's how a body works and how important each of those members are. So our author here is alluding to that, that there's probably different sizes and different functions. He says, fourth, the stones are linked to one another. From where they are placed, they cannot always see this, They cannot always even see the other stones, but they are part of one interlocking whole regardless. Um, The the building receives its, um, I use the word direction, from the cornerstone. It's that cornerstone, and we're not talking about a symbolic thing here. Now, we're talking about a real cornerstone that sat there for a specific construction purpose. It, sit there, it sat there so that other things can be placed upon it. It sat there so that other things can be aligned with it. So as the building is built, the building can be square and plumb and strong. So he's, he's kind of ref, uh, referring to that in that message, all being linked together. The body is also... Well, this new man, I, I gave it away there. This new man is also called a body. And it says right in the passage that we read here that we are being built together into a dwelling place of God by the Spirit. It is the Spirit that animates this living organism called the Church of Jesus Christ. Let me say that again. It is the Spirit that animates this living organism called the church of jesus christ 
Now let me digress here for just a second and hopefully I'll be able to find my place again. If by some either remarkable, wonderful thing we all got transported to different tropical islands, <laughs> I don't know whether you think that a wonderful thing or a disaster, however, wherever you place it, we're all on different tropical islands. And uh, are we still believers? Maybe not. You go to a different place, are you no longer a believer? All right, so work with me here, folks. Remember, I'm on drugs. I need your help. So we go to this different place. We're, we're still believers. We're still part of his body. Who is the head? Jesus is, of course. And Jesus, through his spirit, can speak to us where we are. He can speak to me on that island. He can speak to you on that island. He can speak to a third person on a different island. He can do all of that. He can still maintain the organization of the organism we call the church. Because he's connected through his spirit to each one of us every place we are. There is no time ever when you cease to be a member of his body. There is no time ever when you cease to be one of these living stones being built into a dwelling place of God. That never happens. I'll talk more about that in just a second. Let me get back to the book here. Um, fifth, the stones of the temple are chosen, shaped, and placed not to draw attention to themselves, but to contribute to a great building in which God alone dwells. Sixth, the placing of each stone is only part of a long work begun thousands of years in the past that will continue until the end of the age when the Lord returns. And listen to this. What a great process this is and how mysterious. We are told in 1 Kings 6-7 that when the great temple of Solomon was constructed, and this is a quote from scripture, only blocks dressed at the core were used. No hammer, chisel or any other iron tool was heard at the temple site where it was being built. The author says, to my knowledge, no building in history has ever been built this way. Its construction was almost silent, so holy was the work. Silently, silently, the stones were moved and added and the building rose. Thus it is with the church. We do not hear what is going on inside human minds and hearts as God the Holy Spirit creates new life and adds those individuals to the temple he is building. But God is working. Now, that, folks, is an important point. You cannot always see the building of God. We'll talk about that here in just just a second so this dwelling place for God and and God is building this temple according to his plan not our plan not necessarily the way we want it and that again to digress just a second one of these days we'll perhaps get there and look at those passages but when when Paul said if you know if 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 the body were all an ear where would the hearing be so we someone is upset 
that that they can't hear and all they can do is see. And the apostles trying to bring all of that into um, uh, into an understanding that God has a place and a purpose for all these things going going forward. So He's building it according to His plan. There is always a plan. And when you, if you read the Old Testament, you'll see the tabernacle, the, 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 the plans were so precise down to how much certain things weighed, how long they were supposed to be, what color they were supposed to be. There, there, God just didn't say, go build me a thingy and it'll be okay. He said, build it this way. It's going to be this long. It's going to be this wide. It's going to be this high. It's going to have this color. This is what the outside, this is what the inside this is how big around the loops that the curtains are going to hang on. All of that was in the detail. God's just not flinging something together. And, and the, the wonderful statement by um, Mr. Boyce there where he talked about how silently this is going on and how God's doing it. And we may not see it. We fallen human beings who lack faith want to see something. So we'll have people raise their hands so we can have a count. We'll have people come to an altar. Because we want to see and we want them to see. And then we get involved in, in that process. We get involved in this artificiality that comes and we move away from the silent, wonderful work of God. So, God's not doing this without a drawing. He's not doing it without a plan. It's not random. It's, it, it's not haphazard. There's a purpose. There is intent. The divine creator who put all these things, and I, I appreciate so much, um, and I've mentioned this before, we have bird calendars around the house. I look at the birds because, uh, I mean, God made a lot of wonderful things, didn't he? Um, but I would not want a calendar with groundhogs on it. Um, if you ever get up close to a groundhog, you'll find out their hairs are about an inch and a half apart. They are not very pretty. And uh, for all you fans of the groundhog out there, keep those cards and letters coming. All right. <laughs> But you look at the birds and they're marvelous and see that God created that and the color comes here and then the other color comes here and those and that colors are on feathers and those feathers blend and it's perfect. The line is perfect. How does God do that? And in Scripture we have accounts of God's creative power and glory and design and how all those things. You think that he's doing something less with his church? When you go through some difficulty in your life and you have to call upon God and maybe it's a stressful time or a frustrating time, you say, well, I'm not supposed to be frustrated because I'm a believer. That's not in your Bible. All of those, and again, that's not really the focus of my message today, but so many of those admonitions that we have in Scripture, you know, here's an interesting, whenever I'm, here's an interesting one, whenever I'm afraid, what will I do? I will trust in him. So it starts out with you being afraid. So you say, well, believers aren't supposed to be afraid. That's not what the Bible says. So 
We go through those difficult times and we wonder what God is doing. Well, God's building his church. He's building a temple. Now, um, there's two facets of this. And again, we won't look into this today. But in Paul's letter to the Corinthians, he deals with both facets. He deals with the church corporate being built into a temple. And then he deals with individuals as a temple of the Holy Spirit. So each individual is a temple of the Holy Spirit. And Paul says that's why you don't worship idols. That's why you don't get involved in fornication. Because you're involving the dwelling place of God with some evil thing. And you don't want to do that. So it's not random. It's not haphazard. There is a purpose. There is intent. There is a thought. And slowly and silently, block by block, God is making his building. He's building his church. He's forming a church. He's making a body. He's building a temple. Now, let me talk to you about some practical concepts, and some of these have been confused over the years, and some of them are things that we have worked to try to clarify here. We may not have done a very good job of it, but at least it's our attempt to try to clarify them. I've already mentioned some of them. Church is not a building. Okay? Technically, and, I, and we all do it, but technically we don't go to church. Okay? We call the building the church, all right? But, but the building is not the church. The building is the place where the church meets. All right? So the church is not a building. The church is a group of believers. And, the, and there's different sizes of that. We'll, uh, a group of believers, believers, um, two or three, all right? And you're still part of that church even if you're, even if you're by yourself. Um, so we already, we already mentioned this. The church is people. Saint. Saint is another word for believer. A saint is not some special title you get because you did special things. Or if I wanted to be real cynical because you had sponsors who gave a lot of money. All right? So you get caught up. You know, I, I've, I have, uh, <clears throat> I've encountered some people of recent months. It seems to be a, a, a growing trend where people who should know better are attaching themselves <clears throat> excuse me, um, <clears throat> to a religious structure that has got so many flaws in it that if you would shoot an arrow into it and hit something true, you'd be lucky. <clears throat> so, um, a saint is every believer. <clears throat> excuse me. There is no place you can go to become more of a believer. Christianity does not have an overdrive. How many of you remember what overdrive is? Okay. <clears throat> all right. You don't hit that button and all of a sudden you have enhanced salvation. Say, well... 
there are churches that teach that special things happen in, com- in communion. <clears throat> um, special things can happen in communion. That, that's between you and God. There is no place that's promised. There is no place, excuse me, or activity of enhanced salvation. If you think you can do something to make your salvation better or to make you more saved, then you got a problem with the sacrifice of Jesus Christ, who died once for all times, for all men. Um, <clears throat> so th- th- there's not not a special place you can go to. I mean, we got folks going on special <clears throat> um, special trips to go to a special place. If if you want to go to Israel and 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 look at the, probably not a good time right now, uh, but <clears throat> but if you want to go to Israel and look, you know, and see where Jesus perhaps walked. You probably can't because it's like 30 feet below where you're going to be walking. But if you could, all right, that's fine. It's not a holy land. It was the presence of the Lord that made it special. And today the Lord doesn't live in Jerusalem. Where does he live? He lives in us. He is making us into a dwelling place for himself. So, you know, if you want to take a pilgrimage, that's fine. You may learn things. You may be encouraged in doing something. But if you think that makes you any special, any better a believer because you did that, that's works. That's an affront to the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. And yet, that kind of stuff is taught and believed in churches all across this land. That's why I said earlier, this doctrine of the church is one of the most confused things. And because we've confused it, the world has confused it. I think I mentioned this to you. Um, most, most of the world... Let me back up here, I kind of got in front of myself there. Most of the world believes a church building is the entry point to a relationship with God. And you know where they got that idea? They got it from the church. And um, I think I told the story, I'm not sure... uh, I was at an event and I was standing there and some people came from across the aisle. They were at the event also and they began to talk to me and there was a a very attractive young woman, very articulate, um, very well spoken, knew exactly what she was doing, uh, got a conversation with everybody and when everybody bundled off and I was the only one left and she started talking to me made me feel real good All right, I was the only one left so she started talking to me and she asked me a couple questions and then she asked me where I went to church okay she's from a Christian ministry 
Now, I, I didn't. I really don't know how to respond to those things. I, I, you know, I told her I was a pastor, and I, I told her I was a pastor, and I go there occasionally. Uh, so, but, uh, can you see what we did there? It's Jesus isn't important. Jesus is not the thing I'm here to talk to you about. I'm here to talk about your organizational connection. I want, I want to know where, what your affiliation is to ecclesiastical organization. Where do you go to church? And we have replaced in some instances Jesus as the, as the focus of our worship with our ecclesiastical organization. We've got, in some places we have a, a wonderful, powerful, thriving structure of churchianity. Now, the church is both, and this is very brief, but just so we got some theological background, because Paul's going to talk more about this stuff later. The church is both visible and invisible. All right? So you gather, you gather a group of people together who say they are believers. All, all of those who say they are believers are the visible, and there are some who aren't. There are some who are. The ones who are the real believers are the invisible church the ones that we see and the ones that god sees we have out here among the church we have the universal church that's every believer that's every believer of every nation every every whatever denomination all believers and then we have the local church and that's where people gather together locally like we've gathered here today the local local church Okay, or a local fellowship. And that's, that's how we live it out with one another. I, I can't live it out. I, I can't live with a brother in, a, in, in Africa or a brother in Southeast Asia. I, I, I don't know him. Can't relate, I can't relate to him. We're, we're not going to be able to do, do all of that. I don't even know to pray for him. But the people around me, yes, I can interact with them. I can serve the Lord with them. I can glorify the Lord with them. I can help them glorify the Lord. Discipleship can happen between us on a local level. That's why there always has to be some local connection. There's no such thing as this person who's out here all by themselves and say, I worship all by myself. Now, I mentioned to you earlier that if you're out on a desert, or I I didn't say desert, a tropical island, let's make it a nice place, all right? got plenty of coconuts, all right? You're out on this tropical island. You can still be a believer. You can still worship. The Lord can still speak to you, all right? That's not the ideal. And if you were out there on that island, you probably wouldn't be there very long until you'd wish you had somebody with you. That's the way human beings are built. That's the way the body of Christ is, is, supposed, is supposed to function. So we draw, we tend to make this straw man, and it's an either or or. Well, no, it's not an either or. Yes, that's possible to be out there and 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 live for the Lord. Is that ideal? No, it's not. And if that's your reasoning, your reasoning is faulty. He, he, tells us, he, he tells us to gather together. Don't forsake the assembling of yourselves. 
You need to be with one another. You need to bring those psalms and those hymns and those spiritual songs. You need to pray for one another. And we could go down through Scripture and talk about all that. All the one another's that are there. That can't happen if you're all by yourself. All right. So I already mentioned, he's making us corporate and he's making us individual, his dwelling place. He is doing it. It's not us. It's him. Now, um, we already got a hint to this. And I've already mentioned this. I'm not going to take time to read it today. But you read on further in chapter 3, which we'll, we'll, we'll begin to dig into next week. You'll find out that when the Apostle Paul talks about this mystery and that he was made a steward of it, and it, it's, it's manifold parts. Part of it was that the Jew and the Gentile would be one, that the two would be gone, they'd be one new man, and that new man would be called the church or a believer. He also goes on to say that also part of this mystery is, is the, the, um, the revelation, the exposing of the grace of God. All of creation, if they want to look, have seen God's creative glory and power. And there have there has been times down through history, if people are willing to look, where they have seen God's righteous judgment. And and you could you could take ten seconds and think about your old testament and think where there's examples of it. You know? Well the walls of Jericho fell down, didn't they? And Lot's wife looked back and what happened? All right? So you've got examples of almighty power being used in judgment. When we get into the New Testament, we see the wisdom of God revealed in the plan of salvation. That God took the sin that separated us from him, placed it on his son, and used the death that all men were at all times afraid of. Used death to defeat death. He's revealing that wisdom. He's revealing his grace. And earlier when I talked about us working with one another and praying for one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs and all that going on and the two being made one, all of those things that are going on, all all. All manifestate all uh, 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 demonstrations of the manifold wisdom of God, of the grace of God. All of creation is watching all of that happen as as it as He works through us, as He builds this temple, and we're part of that. We are the objects of His marvelous grace. We don't deserve it; we just receive it. Would you stand with me? Heavenly Father, there's a mystery in this church. There's a mystery in what you're doing. Men are men and women, men men are not just machines. Plug food in, productivity comes out. We're more than that. We're a heart and a soul. There's an immaterial part of us that cries out, longs for you. 
There's something that swells up in us when we see you in your glory. When you reveal some little aspect of yourself. And on the inside, we soar. Lord, don't let us get caught up in the materialism of this world, thinking that church is a building, that evangelism is a head count of numbers, that discipleship is how many people go to a class. Help us look beyond that to what you're really doing, how you're working in our lives, how you're working in the lives of those round about us. How in every situation, what's happening is a manifestation of your grace. Unmerited love and favor through Jesus Christ. I pray as we go and as we read these passages and move into chapter 3 that you'll give us a heightened awareness of your work in your church and your work in our hearts and lives. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.